0: today. We will not do the book of Psalms today. We're going to do instead the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. So if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, next week Jerry Lassiter will be teaching, one of our outstanding life change teachers will be here teaching you the book of Psalms, um, as I will be away all this week during the week. Um, these uh, three books today are often called wisdom literature. We've left kind of the narrative stories that tell the history of God's people and today we're wading into a series of three books along with Job last week that are considered wisdom literature. They are the the instruction that God gave to his people along the way so that they would know how to walk with him and how to honor him. Now if For instance, if you'll look at this screen, and imagine that there's a timeline there. Near the top of the screen, about the year 1500 or so B.C., 1450, somewhere around there, was the Great Exodus. At the bottom of the screen is the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, probably about 430-something-ish. So over about a thousand year span, the entire Old Testament unfolds. And the three books we're looking at today are all connected um, often with one man, in one way or another, and that is King Solomon. He would fall on that timeline about the 10th century B.C. So fairly early in the life of God's people were they given this set of instructions. And and what I want you to especially notice is that the instructions we're going to read today in these books are almost 3,000 years old, and yet it will sound like they were written this year for you. So timeless is the wisdom of God for his people. Now, we call this wisdom literature. Sometimes it's poetic literature. Um, Wisdom literature is a little bit different. It's, It's kind of like the wisdom on Mother's Day that your mom used to give you when you were a kid. Your mom used to take you and she'd take you to the street and she'd say, Son, you look both ways before you cross that street or that car will squash you like a bug. Remember your mom telling you that? Use those exact words probably. I'm quoting your mom. Well, then lo and behold, one day you ran across the street without looking both ways and you were not squashed like a bug. Was mom telling the truth or not? She was. She was giving you wisdom, not a law. There is not a law that says uh, thou shalt be squashed like a bug if you don't look both ways before you cross the street. But if it's your pattern to cross the street without looking both ways, odds are one day you'll be squashed like a bug. And that's the way wisdom literature works in the Bible, too. It's, it's wisdom for life. It's not laws, fail-safe laws. There are exceptions and extenuating circumstances. But if you want to live a wise life, these three books will tell you. And so if you would bow with me in prayer, we'll see what wisdom God has for us today. God, please come teach us. God, if there's a people on earth who need your wisdom, we are sitting in this room in need of it. Our our world's gone crazy. It's pulling us every which way. And oh, to have your wisdom to walk through it, us and and our families. So shepherd us, God. Show us the wisdom we need and what we need to do in response to it today, we ask in Christ's name. Okay, if you will open up your Bibles to Proverbs, we'll start in that book, and I will clue you as to when I'm going to be in a major section for uh, several verses at a time. Don't feel like you have to chase me to every single verse. I know that can be a distraction trying to find your way through it. Um, But another great reason to bring your Bible to church, you never know, right? You just never know. Around my home, I am notorious for having a bad memory. Uh, My kids will be excited about something, and they'll say, hey, Dad, you remember when? And they'll get about that far, and they'll go, nah, forget it. And then they'll talk to their mom, who is responsible for remembering things in our home. That's what she does um, and covers me in, in that regard. But in spite of that, there are times in my life when God has so burned things into even my mind that I cannot forget them, that I remember them like it was yesterday, like I was there right now. Um, And one of those dates, one of those scenarios happened on July 26, 1980. I was on a mission trip in southern Poland. I was sitting under a willow tree outside of a farmhouse alongside a stream. I can see it in my mind's eye like, like I was there. And in that place, God spoke to me through his word. He touched me. He marked my life and set me on a course that has shaped all of my life. Um, I actually found my old journal from those days. And the entry reads this way. It says, Yesterday I was reading in Proverbs 24, and I hit on a verse that I really like. Verse 3 and 4 says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding... It is established. And by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Then a little bit farther down I cited a verse from Second Chronicles that reads this way. It's from Second Chronicles um, chapter one, verses seven and ten. God appeared to Solomon. And said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon responded this way, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. And so for those 20 some odd years since that day and practically every day that I have served in the 16 plus years here at Northwake as pastor, my life has been shaped by a passion for God's wisdom. And that, that is so much in keeping with what I believe is the central message to us today of the book of Proverbs. If you would like to open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 4, there's a central passage there. That exhorts us this way. It says, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom, though it cost all you have. Get understanding. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. Get wisdom. Whatever it costs you, get wisdom. He says, wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom, though it cost you all you have. And I think that is the essence of what the book of Proverbs is calling out to us today. See, according to the book of Proverbs, wisdom yields amazing fruit in our lives. Here's a sampling. Wisdom can improve your health. It can make you live longer. It can improve your quality of life. It can increase your earning power. It can transform your character, increase your personal integrity, help you make right choices, make you a better leader, give you peace, make you more powerful, protect you from discouragement, make you a more patient parent, cause others to praise you, protect you from moral failure, lead you to God, and on this day, most importantly, wisdom can make your mama proud. And I am just skimming across the surface of what wisdom brings to a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who loves it and seeks it with all their heart. Get wisdom, whatever it costs, get wisdom. You know, the book of Proverbs, I believe, has universal application to every person in this room. But it is written, the early chapters especially, directly to young men I think because of their greater propensity to be a fool, honestly. Uh, And men, think back to your teenage years and, you know, you know. Um. So it puts forth, in light of that target audience, it puts forth a choice in the early chapters of the book of choosing between two women. The lady wisdom on the one hand and the lady folly or foolishness on the other. And it says to these young men, choose the woman who will dominate your life, whom you will give yourself to. Choose whom will you love, whom will you cherish. And each of these ladies has a voice in the early chapters of the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 7, for instance, the lady Folly speaks. It says, um, starting in verse 6, At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. And then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner, she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face, she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today, I fulfilled my vows, so I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths, Many are the victims she has brought down her slain are a mighty throng her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death And you see what's at stake here choose the lady follow and folly and you choose the way of death And in spite of the portrait here don't think that she just seduces men You know, look around. Look around in our day. Our society is full of mothers and daughters who have followed this lady's counsel and their children suffer for it. She is not just the voice of adultery, though she takes that form here. She is the voice of all foolishness, of all folly. And she is enticing you to be a fool. Police reports tell us that uh, Charles Ray Fuller had in mind just a couple weeks ago to start a record business, and he figured he might as well finance it by cashing a forged check drawn on his girlfriend's mother's account. The writer of this article says, not that I have any firsthand experience with this, but one imagines that a check forger-to-be inevitably faces a moment when, with pen poised, he or she must decide exactly what amount to try for. What do you write in the blank on the check? How about, oh, $360 billion? Yeah, yeah, that should do it. $360 billion. So at the Chase Bank, this is a true story, at the Chase Bank branch in Fort Worth, Texas, where the police said he tried to cash the $360 billion check... The teller astutely thought something was amiss. (laughs) A well-trained teller there at the Chase Bank. Um, Seeing how the amount far exceeded the bank's total market capitalization, I'm told it's about half of all currency in circulation in our country. Um, She contacted the account owner. And when she told them that, no, she hadn't in fact written any multi-billion dollar checks, Mr. Fuller was arrested and charged with forgery, not to mention possession of a 25-caliber pistol, and surprise, surprise, a small amount of marijuana. Later, he was released on $3,750 worth of bail, cash or bond, please, no personal checks. The lady folly is enticing you to be a fool. And a love of money is one of her tools. Japanese news accounts tell us that the deputy head of the land registry office in Kanokawa, Japan, has been suspended for clicking on pornographic websites 780,000 times while at work in nine months including 170,000 clicks in July alone, a pace of one click every three seconds, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. He was 57 years old. And Lady Folly had just played him for a fool. Folly is more than just stupidity or naivete. It is, in fact, a willful departure from the ways of wisdom, which are the ways of God. And I tell you these stories that seem almost larger than life, and I don't want you to miss the question that's in this for you Are you being played for a fool? Are you ignorantly or worse, willfully stepping out of God's beautiful, wise ways in the way you parent? In the way you treat your parents? In your finances? In your work or your marriage or your friendships? See, Proverbs brings us wisdom in every one of these areas and so much more. And Proverbs tells us, explicitly you don't want to be a fool how good it is to be wise listen to these contrasts and just listen don't don't feel like you have to chase me through this proverbs 10 verse 1 a wise son brings joy to his father but a foolish son grief to his mother Proverbs ten, verse fourteen: Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. Proverbs chapter eleven, verse twenty-nine: He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. Proverbs chapter fourteen, verse one. And on Mother's Day, ladies, listen closely to this. Listen closely to this verse. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept Safe. You don't want to be a fool. Do not go near this foolish lady and her lies. They will destroy you and they will destroy those you love. Listen instead. Listen instead to the beautiful invitation, the beautiful counsel of the lady wisdom. Chapter 8 is given over to her words starting in verse 1. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gates leading into the city. At the entrances, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, listen. For I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me, kings reign. And rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern and all nobles who rule on earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily, daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. Listen to the counsel of lady wisdom. Get wisdom, whatever it costs you. Get this wisdom that comes from God. And the book of Proverbs literally oozes with wisdom. I mean, it's one of those books, pick a page, point your finger, wisdom. Um, It has a lot to say. For instance, one of the themes in Proverbs is about speech. Just listen to the wisdom of of this counsel from Proverbs 18, uh, verse... 13, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Oh, that's wise. Men, think of the trouble that could have saved you if you would have listened to your wife before you answered her. How many nights on the couch would that have saved you from? Just that one little bit right there. Proverbs verse twenty nine twenty, similar in what it says. You see a man who speaks in haste, there is more hope for a fool than for him. Uh, there was an elderly man who was extraordinarily hard of hearing in his family, as you can imagine, frustrated by it, for years were badgering him to go see a physician and get hearing aids. And finally, he relented. He went to the doctor and was fitted for a set of hearing aids that amazingly allowed him to hear 100%. Fully restored hearing. He comes back to the doctor after a month for a checkup, and the doctor said with a smile, Your hearing is perfect. Your family must be really pleased that you can hear again. And the old man replied, Oh, I haven't told my family yet. <laughs> said, uh, I just sit around and listen to their conversations. I've changed my will three times, he says. <laughs> Oh, the wisdom of Proverbs. Listen to this wise saying of a man named Agar. Proverbs 30, verses 7 and 8. He says, two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. He's got two great requests of God. He says, first, keep falsehood and lies far from me. All the wisdom of Proverbs for our tongues. But he has a second thing. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much. I might have too much and disown you. And say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. What wisdom about wealth from the book of Proverbs. In a a world that's gone mad for acquisition and accumulation, what a much needed wise saying. It goes on, it talks about hard work And it talks, as we've seen, about wealth. And there's a tremendous verse for Mother's Day. Mothers, write this down. You'll want this on your refrigerator later today. Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father, that scorns obedience to a mother, will be pecked out by ravens of the valley and will be eaten by the vultures. Okay? Is that a Mother's Day verse or what? Proverbs 30... 17. You know, metaphorically speaking, probably, um, you never know. know, Don't disobey your mom. Get your eyes plucked out by ravens eaten by vultures. Uh, Hey, get wisdom. Read Proverbs. Billy Graham used to say that he read the book of of Psalms. He read every month, five chapters a day, so he knew how to deal with God. And then he read one chapter of the book of Proverbs every day so he knew how to deal with man. And I have followed that from time to time in my reading pattern. It's really easy to do because there's 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. There's often 31 or so days a month, um, and you just coordinate them. Today's the 11th day of the month. You would read Proverbs chapter 11. It's a beautiful way to get wisdom. Whatever it costs you, get wisdom. Now, if you turn one more page from Proverbs in your Bible, you run into a book named Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes begins on this happy note. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Welcome to the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, the Ecclesiastes... Um, was definitely written before Prozac, okay? It can really be a discouraging book if you do not read it wisely. The early chapters of the book um, are about the utter futility of life if it's lived apart from the centrality of God. And it says says these things powerfully. It's written by a man of tremendous wealth, wisdom, and power. Most often that's associated with Solomon. Um, And listen to his approach in chapter 2 of the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In this, all, my, in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure My heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. It's kind of a, happy, upbeat kind of an outlook on life, Ecclesiastes. But what wisdom for our day when people are chasing these very things. 3,000 years ago, a guy told them, dead end. It's kind of a collision of worldviews. The the book of of Ecclesiastes, you you find... um, this idea of what life is like without God. And you find so if you have a conversation with an unbeliever who's wrestling with the meaning of life, read Ecclesiastes with them. Just perfect. That worldview kind of collides at strategic points in the book with what life's like under the lordship of, of our God, where He is central. Case in point is the back end of that same chapter, chapter. Two, verse 22 he's he's saying what does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun all his days his work is pain and grief even at night his mind does not rest this too he says is meaningless then he says a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work this too he says i see is from the hand of god for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless a chasing after the wind. He says satisfaction in work and in life is only found when God is central. Otherwise, it's meaningless, it's vanity some of our Bibles say. If Proverbs is simply a clarion call to get wisdom for life, you can think of Ecclesiastes as wisdom for the boardroom, okay? It has more to say about wisdom for work and about the labor that we do than any book that I know of in the Bible. It brings principles like this. Don't look to your work for your identity or worth in life. Um, Don't work too hard. Don't let your work be motivated by competition. That's meaningless. It says, don't let your work be motivated by the desire for more. Listen to how wisely that's put in chapter 5, verse 10 and following. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Does that sound familiar? When was the last time somebody in your office raises came out and they said, no, I'm good. It's all right. I'm good. This too, he says, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. What wisdom. Wisdom. He says that only work, only when work is connected to God do we find satisfaction and joy in it when God is the center of our work. And that, thankfully, is the worldview that prevails in the book. If you flip over to the very end of the book, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, this is how it ends. He says, now when all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and his commandments. Revere, be in awe of God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil. Ecclesiastes, you can remember it and think about it presenting wisdom for the boardroom. It has a lot to say about your work. And if that's the case, if that's how you can think about Ecclesiastes, you can think about the Song of Songs as presenting wisdom for the bedroom, okay? Um, you flip over one more page from Ecclesiastes, and there is the Song of Songs the Song of Solomon. And, and surprise, surprise, what is this doing in your Bible? I mean, look at the way it opens. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. All right, all right, listen. We've got problems here. We've got kissing and wine right there in the first two verses of the book, all right? What is this doing in our Bible? And what, what is this about? Well, it, You know, from there, it just gets worse. Or, or better, or better, depending on how you want to think about it. over in chapter 4... It's, it's a collection of poems principally resolving around two lovers, King Solomon in all probability and one of his brides. Um, and they are writing this poetry back and forth, passionate poetry. He says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense." all beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Over in chapter 5, starting down in verse 10, she has a bit of a response. She says, my lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks, Are like beds of spice yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with chrysolite. His body is like polished ivory decorated with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend. Again, uh, it's a back and forth between lovers, you know, you know the can the kind you just can't stand to be around, you know, is that kind of you know get a room kind of people. Um, the imagery is obviously agricultural, so it's hard for us sometimes being city folk to get our hands around the beauty of goats descending down mountains. And some of it's a little archaic. We don't talk this way very often anymore, but yet. 3,000 years later, at certain points, we know exactly what they are talking about. Now, the church has often struggled with what to do with a book that contains some pretty steamy love poetry and never mentions God, not, not once. And so throughout history, people have tried to figure out, well, what is this doing? This is embarrassing. What's this doing in my Bible, you know? And so, as some have said it's really not about two lovers. It's about how Christ loves his church. So, for instance, um, the verse we read in chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Your two breasts are like two fawns, like two fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Of course, that's about the Old Testament and the New Testament. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Y'all knew that. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, Jeez. Look, if we're going to be honest at all in the way we read this book, we have to admit that first and foremost, it is a passionate celebration of sacred marital love. Whatever else it might mean, it is that first and foremost. And what does this book have to say uh, to folks like us in closing? First of all, um, it teaches us about God. God is good, okay? God is good. He has given to those who are married a very good gift. He is very good. And marriage is intended to be a place where passionate love flows both verbally and physically back and forth from one to another. You can't miss that as you read this. You know, and, and you get a sense here. That God has something to say about sensuality and passion and beauty that far exceeds in its beauty and delight all the other options that are being pressed upon us these days. You should consult the Bible about your sex life. God is interested in it and has spoken about it and has given it this poetic portrait of it. You should read this book with your marriage in view and let it shape the way you think and feel and speak and act towards your spouse. But but having said all that, I, I do think that it's very difficult for me to read a book that is in the Bible that so vividly describes the love between husband and wife and then to read elsewhere the widespread use of the marriage relationship as a pointer to the way God loves us and the way we are to love God and not have my thoughts, when I read this book, turn towards God in wonder and ask questions like this. Could Christ really love me with this kind of affection and passion? Really? Does he have these deep feelings for me, for us, for his church? Um, What are the depths of the passions of Christ for us? Does Christ really want me to love him with this kind of fervent passion? Not in this erotic fashion, but with the passion of a bride for her husband? Does he really want that of me when he says... That I'm his bride? See, I think if the Bible so freely invokes the imagery elsewhere of Christ as bridegroom and the church as bride, and if this book is, in fact, a God-given portrait of what that kind of marital love looks like, then this book does have something to say to all of us, whether married or single alike, about what it means to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what it means when we are called, unbelievably, the beloved of God. So, these three books bring us a great invitation to get wisdom. Wisdom for life, wisdom in the boardroom, and even wisdom in the bedroom. How do you get it? How do you get it? Well, Proverbs 4.8, that we read earlier, puts it this way. It says, esteem wisdom. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. Give yourselves to her. Love wisdom. Seek wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Which means, in part, you have to shun the lady folly. Fill your mind with foolishness, and you will not be wise. And let's just be honest. If you're sitting down indiscriminately in front of the TV, flipping channels, hours upon hours a night... You're not going to be wise. I'm not saying you have to get rid of your TV, but you sure better be discriminating about how you watch it because TV will make you a fool. It is Lady Folly's mouthpiece. Fill your mind with the Bible and especially books like these three and you'll find the wisdom you seek. See, Proverbs gives us, in Proverbs chapter 9, uh, verse 10, the center for wisdom. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you want wisdom, seek God. Seek Him in His Word. Find God, you find wisdom. Our awestruck wonder and devotion to God as supreme in our lives. What the Bible's talking about when it says, fear the Lord, seeing Him rightly, and loving Him fully, that's the key to wisdom. When God is the center, wisdom comes. If you don't know God, you won't have wisdom. If you don't know God rightly, you won't have wisdom. And that is why our curriculum for our adults on Sunday morning centers around what is God like and who is He? Because if you know that rightly, then wisdom flows out of that. The first thing is the fear of the Lord. So there's a method to our madness. The New Testament puts it this way. It says in Matthew chapter 12 that uh, that generation would be held accountable at judgment by the queen of Sheba, who came from long distances to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then it says, because one greater than Solomon is here, speaking of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says... uh, that Christ is the wisdom of God for us. If you want to get wisdom and you want to know God rightly, then you have to get Christ. You have to trust Christ, believe in Christ, follow Christ. The wisdom of God comes to us through Christ. And so today, if God is prompting you to seek wisdom, the first step is to seek Christ, to trust Christ. But maybe for a number of you today, you can sense God, like I did in southern Poland under a willow tree alongside a creek outside a farmhouse in that little town Um, so many years ago. You can sense today God saying, seek wisdom, get wisdom, whatever it costs you. Mark the rest of your life with the pursuit of God's wisdom. And if he's prompting you in in that overarching way today, or maybe in some specific way, he's just pointed to you, that's foolishness in your life. Get rid of that. Um, Let me urge you to make your first step in obeying God's prompting simply to come forward for prayer during our closing song as a way of saying to God, I'm in. I want it. I'll get it, whatever it costs me. Our leaders will be in the front row. You want somebody to pray with you? Just... Wave Adam will come pray with you too. But let's stand together and let's close with this declaration of worship as the team leads us in song and they'll also lead us and prompt us in the lyrics as well.